Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Uh, okay, Director Comey, uh, th- thanks for stopping by. You, you, no, it's good. You did all you could do. That, no, thanks. Really, you don't need to stay any longer. It's fine. We're good. We're good. We're good. Gavin, Gavin, show Director Comey out, please. Ass. The following podcast contains... Now, I had heard that word at least ten times a day from my old man. My father worked in profanity the way other artists might work in oils or clay. It was his true medium, a master. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you called in on the east of the Rockies line and you live west of the Rockies, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, April 20th, 2018, Quiet Numbskulls, I'm broadcasting, edition of the show where we go town to town, up and down the dial. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Are You Thinking podcast is brought to you by KBDF 69.9 FM, the radio station in my imagination. From our studios high atop the Sonoma Towers in beautiful downtown Yuba City, California, the Mighty Bee pumps out 100,000 watts of music fury right into your ear, ear holes. With Jimmy and Eric in the morning and Jimmy Cafferty's all rock and roll road show review taking you home, KBDF bounces into your brain and drives you insane. The station with more music and more talk. 69.9 on your radio dial on the FM side, on the web and around the world, KBDF is your station that pays. Remember, this station doesn't actually exist. It's just some shit that I made up when I lived in California that sounded funny at the time. If that's all they call you now, you are Satan's mouthpiece. You no, I'm, I'm virtually... You're trying to conceive Christian, Christian American. Virtually the Antichrist. I would say, sir, you're not, you're not actually the beast, but you're working for him. I'm trying to help you here, sir. You're trying to help me. Well, why don't you don't help me, and why don't you just get off the air and make way for good people like G. Gordon Liddy, Ollie Norris, and Rush Limbaugh? I've talked about my love of Art Bell's Coast to Coast AM many times on this show. Not the modern incarnation with George Norrie, because fuck you, George Norrie, but Art's pure vintage 90s anything goes style. If you talk like that for um, even a more protracted period of time, uh, there will be changes that will occur in you that you won't like, and you'll start to look like you sound, sir. So when I learned last Sunday that Art had passed away in his Pahrump, Nevada home at the age of 72, I already was on the road to this week's show. Then on Tuesday, I learned that NPR's Carl Castle... Hello, I'm Carl Castle from NPR, and you've reached the Mensing Household. Mona won my voice on her answering machine on a news quiz radio program. Imagine a man of my stature being given away a surprise. You don't see Bob Edwards giving his voice away, or Terry Gross, or even Daniel Shore. I feel so cheap. Oh, well, leave your message at the tone. Passed away at the age of 84. Carl was a radio legend, NPR reporter, host, and announcer, scorekeeper for Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. If you grew up in an NPR house and you know who you are, you grew up with Carl. So this week, this show is going analog and back to those thrilling days of yesteryear when invisible airwaves crackled with life and bright antenna bristled with the energy. 
Because, man, did I want to be on the radio? I mean, I've said it before, but I really did want to be on the radio. I mean, not so much when I was a kid, because as a kid, I wanted to be the captain of a Federation starship. Oh, that's a problem. Then later, as a teen, I decided my dream of Starship Command probably wasn't feasible and decided on being a rock star as an alternative. Keep it real, homies. Later, in my 20s, I discovered that Rockstar probably wasn't in the cards either, and karaoke, while it was very good for getting middle-aged ladies to take their clothes off, was not really going to pay my bills. So I took a long look around at the things I was good at, picking songs at parties, doing funny voices, and talking on the police radio, drinking heavily and making bad jokes, and I knew there was only one home for a guy like me, and it was on the radio. Now, I wasn't an NPR kid. I didn't come into NPR till much later in my life. No, I was into the exciting world of commercial radio. It was all there, baby. Low pay, bad working conditions, highly competitive, and the vast majority of available jobs were in shitty, shitty places where no one would ever want to live. Being in commercial radio was a lot like being in the military, except for two things. I wouldn't have to wear a uniform, and I could do all the drugs I wanted. Plus, like pretty much every other decision I've made in my life, I'd seen it on the television. All right, Cincinnati, it is time for this town to get down. You got Johnny. Dr. Johnny Fever, and I am burning up in here. What? We all in critical condition, babies. But you can tell me where it hurts, because I got the healing prescription here from the big KRP musical medicine cabinet. Now, I am talking about your 50,000-watt intensive care unit, babies. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say, give it to me straight, doctor. I can take it. But like most other things in my life, I was a day late and dollars short, and radio was already dying. So let's talk about the history of radio. Put your learning hats on, because we're going to do... Okay, here we go. The short, short version. The theory of wireless telegraphy was around since about 1830, but it wasn't until 1864 that James Clerk Maxwell showed the mathematical theory that electromagnetic waves move through space. And around 1888, a dude named Heinrich Rudolf Hertz... <laughs> Not exactly, Gavin, but uh, we'll take it. Conclusively proved that electromagnetic waves moved around in space. It took another few years of experimentation before an Italian inventor named Giugliemio... It's Marconi, fuck it, you guys know the name. You might accidentally remember it from school, at least. He put together the first successful wireless telegraph. Yes, pod friends, the man you thought invented radio didn't invent radio. He just invented one that he could sell. This isn't taking anything away from Marconi, just reminding people that inventions are almost never the work of one person. Marconi's invention was pretty much limited to Morse code until around 1900, when a Brazilian priest named Roberto Landel de Mora transmitted the human voice wirelessly for the first time, and the radio DJ was born. C-A-M-E-L-S From Hollywood, Camel Cigarettes present the Jimmy Durante Show! Then a lot of shit happened, blah, 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 Golden Age Radio, Jack Benny, War of the Worlds, the Hindenburg Broadcast, the Birth of Rock and Roll Marathon Broadcast, Cultural Appropriation, and then the television came along and, uh... Bloated up real good. And knocked radio off its cultural pedestal. It didn't, you know, kill radio, it just emoted it to a second-tier medium for those times we could not personally be glued to a television set. You know, in the car, in the office, at the beach. And the radio could be less formal, more casual, and somehow more free. 
Movie stars were glamorous, television stars were wholesome, and radio stars were goofy and accessible. To be a radio star, you needed two things. A radio voice, not unlike this one, and a shtick. And guys with names like Alan Freed. Hello, everybody. How are you all? This is yours truly, Alan Freed. Get your dancing shoes on, and welcome to the rock and roll dance party. High lit. Flip it up until 10 o'clock tonight. One, two, three, four solid hours of the big green American music. All my... Jocko. Tell him loud and clear that Jocko sent you. Or Wolfman Jack. We got to close it out. That's it for the Wolfman Jack show for tonight. Robert W. Morgan. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Robert W. Morgan show from the much more music station, AM and FM. 93 KHA Los Angeles. Tom Donahue. This is Tom Donahue. Rachel and I will be here until midnight when the Muddy will come by as usual. Kid Leo out of Cleveland. 100.7 Kid Leo here with you until the hour of 6 o'clock. Scott Shannon. Scott Shannon. And, of course, the granddaddy of them all, Casey Kasem. The countdown will begin this Sunday afternoon at 1, right here on the radio station you grew up with, Music Radio 138. Oh, fuck. What the hell's going on here? Oh, geez, well, isn't it the last hour? We got another hour to do? Geez, I thought we were almost finished. Good golly, Miss Molly. Boy, this is fucking ponderous, man. Ponderous, fucking ponderous. That last bit uh, never quite made it to the air. But uh, it is a nice segue to the Mr. Potty Mouth, the dude that I really wanted to talk about, Howard Stern. The following program is of adult nature and may be inappropriate for persons under the age of 18. The Howard Stern Show. K-E-G-L, Fort Worth, Dallas, 97.1, The Eagle. No, I'm not going to give you a lecture. I don't... Howard Allen Stern, born January 12, 1954 in Queens, New York, began his radio career in Boston University in 1972 and from there rose to become... The name King of All Media was a goof, obviously. I didn't think I was the King of All Media. I wanted to prove a point. From his Wikipedia bio, quote, Stern wished to be in radio from the age of five. He was an infrequent listener in his youth, but names talk radio personalities Bob Grant and Brad Crandall as early influences. His father set up a microphone, tape machine, and turntable in the basement of his home, which Stern used to record his make-believe radio shows, incorporating different characters, pre-recorded prank calls, sketches, and commercials. My God. It sounds like me. Except, you know, I, I wasn't five. I was, like, 28. And from those humble beginnings began a media empire. His daily morning radio show from WNBC in New York was nationally syndicated. And all of a sudden, the phrase, Baba Booey, began tumbling from the lips of the across the United States. For a few years in the late 80s and early 90s, Stern really was the king of all media. He would dominate radio, television, books, even had a movie. It was honestly a really good... I loved the movie. I watched it like 30 times because, again, I wanted to be in radio. Have we established that? This fucking guy would pop up everywhere, from late-night talk shows to appearing on the Video Music Awards as Fartman, which is exactly what it sounds like. From a land far away and long, long ago, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's a really bad smell. Ladies and gentlemen, Stern was, and really is, a profoundly juvenile man-child obsessed with all things that man-children are obsessed with. You know, mostly boobs. Needless to say, 
There's a part of me that kind of reveres him for this. And Howard Stern essentially created the genre known as shock jock. A shock jock is, according to my sources, a, quote, type of radio broadcaster or disc jockey who entertains listeners or attracts attention using humor and or melodramatic exaggeration that some portion of the listening audience may find offensive. Hey, don't knock the fart jokes. There were plenty of incendiary radio hosts before Howard, but none of them embraced the pure pubescence that Stern personified. Howard Stern's persona, his radio persona, is actually three 13-year-old boys in a fright wig, and audiences loved it. Howard Stern, the person, is a brilliant businessman. He understood the idea of a personal brand long before it became the go-to for every jackass with an Instagram. If you listen to Stern speak as himself, rather than the Howard Stern of the radio show, you hear an intelligent, self-aware human being who understands an, an extremely important truth about Americans. Our sense of humor is not exactly highbrow. What Stern was doing on the radio wasn't exactly new. The whole wacky DJ trope was kind of old news by the time Stern began his career. The whole morning zoo thing, the show revolving skits, gags, and characters, real and created, is generally attributed to Scott Shannon. But Howard's contribution to the milieu was raunch factor, racy content and foul language, which drove ratings and the FCC fines. At the peak of his career, the carriers of Stern's show paid $2 million to the FCC. And a shitload of money. And they were willing to pay that as the cost of doing business, and business was good because they were making... I have the potential to make a fuck ton of money. And that fuck ton of money spawned a slew of imitators. Opie and Anthony, Tom Likas, Ron and Fez, Bubba the Love Sponge, and my favorite of them all... Time for another fabulous episode of The Don and Mike Show. And today we shall witness an earth-shaking discovery. Don Geronimo, Mike O'Mara. Oh, who are you guys with? Uh, NBC, CBS? Radio God. It was like hanging out with friends every afternoon. These two hosts actually liked each other and it showed. During the late 90s and early 2000s, I was working at the shittiest job ever as a store detective at a Walmart in Alexandria, Virginia. And I would slip out of the store and sit in my car and listen to Don and Mike for their entire four-hour show. Then go back in, clock out, and go home. Those few years were one of the low points of my life. And it's no joke, Don and Mike helped me get through it and were the inspiration for my really wanted to be in radio. Oddly enough, Don and Mike, Robin Spiewak, Buzz Burbank, probably Dennis fucking Murphy, all have podcasts now. The sad thing is, Dennis Murphy probably gets better ratings than we do. The hallmarks of all these shows were controversies. The stupid shit they did. From a Thrillist article in 2016, quote, That backstage drama is not just a feature of a good shock jock show, it's part of the DNA. Tension-filled sagas like Stern played out across the country with fines and lawsuits, only adding to the mystique. In 1997, San Francisco station KSOL-FM had to pay $500,000 in tolls as restitution for a stunt in which host Eric Mancow Muller caused a traffic jam on the Bay Bridge so a station employee could get a haircut in a van. Boston's Opie and Anthony got fired from W. WAAF in 1998 for an April Fool's gag that involved telling their audience to, <laughs> that my, Mayor Mike Mourinho died in a car accident. Months later, they were back on the radio in New York in 2002. Bubba the Love Sponge was acquitted of animal cruelty charges after broadcasting the on-air slaughter of a wild boar. And those 
are just the famous guys. By the early 2000s, Stern's model of shock jock was fading from glory and fading quick. The jocks just ain't, weren't they what they used to be? At least not the dudes who created the genre. Part of the fall is the collapse of terrestrial radio, consolidation of local radio and corporate into a corporate sludge of generic mundanity has killed radio for all intents and purposes. Hey, big shout out to Clear Channel. Fuck you. Fuck you very much. Stern famously bailed on broadcast radio for Sirius Satellite in 2004. And since then, the rest of the Motley crew either left for satellite or were fired. Because honestly, most of them were terrible fucking people. The world changed, and listening to the guys talking about women's tits for four hours every morning, I don't know, for some reason, seemed to lose their audience. Also, there was more than a little racism in these shows. I mean, I loved Don and Mike, and they were far from the worst offenders, but you cannot say or do some of the ethnic caricatures that were in their bits today. And some of the shows... <coughs> Open the Anthony Cumia of Open the Anthony were just flat out fucking public racist. Most of them retreated to the internet, putting up websites and running streaming shows for those listeners willing to pay to listen to their old favorites unfiltered and uncensored. A few continue on Sirius. Most of them have podcasts of minor success, and a few, like Adam Carolla, got ahead of the boom and have tremendously popular podcasts. By and large, however, the kings of crass are sad middle aged men sitting alone in a studio doing a show for a few thousand fans and attempting to relive their glory days. Your life sucks more than most. Yeah, well, Gavin, at least I'm on the microphone, not sitting in the booth. Yes. If the era of the morning DJ shock jock is largely relegated to the locker room of history, you would be incorrect to think their descendants do not carry on the finest traditions of outrageous behavior and vile content, because they most certainly do. Instead of objectifying and demeaning women... The modern shock jock objectifies and demeans everyone. Except, you know, of course, white men. They would never do that. I'm speaking, of course, of those wonderful fuckholes, the conservative radio host. I hate those guys. Now, of course, angry white men on the radio are nothing new. We've talked about them before. But there is one guy in particular who took the audacious bones of Stern's pushing the boundaries and fleshed them out with good old-fashioned hunks of nationalism, paranoia, misogyny, racism, fear, and unapologetic dickishness to create the modern right-wing radio host. Greetings, my good friends, and welcome to the award-winning, thrill-packed, ever-exciting, increasingly popular, growing by leaps and bounds, Rush Limbaugh program here on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. It's time for yet another excursion into broadcast excellence, and we are happy to have you with us. Rush Hudson Limbaugh III. In 1984, Limbaugh went on the air in KFBK in Sacramento, and where he replaced Morton Downey Jr., the repeal of the Fairness Doctrine, which had required that stations provide free airtime for responses to any controversial opinions that were broadcast by the FCC in 1987 meant that stations could broadcast editorial comment commentaries such as Limbaugh's without having to present opposing views. Limbaugh said of it, Ronald Reagan tore down this wall and Rush Limbaugh was the first man to proclaim himself liberated from the East Germany of liberal media domination. What an asshole! 
the practical upshot of it is the bullshit that you go on the radio and spew. The radio station was no longer required to have someone come on right afterwards to inform the public that you were incredibly and embarrassingly full of shit. The rest, as they say, is history. With an average of 14 million listeners, Rush Limbaugh is the most popular single host talk show on the radio today. It explains so much. Rush and the rest of his right-wing radio loved to whine about how they were fighting the forces of political correctness and the feminization of America. Rush himself coined the lovely term feminazi, which is, of course, any woman that dares to disagree with a white man. The coin of the right-wing talk realm is white grievance and pining for a simple time where men were men, women were barefoot and pregnant, and Negroes had to ride in the back of the bus. Rush blew his racist dog whistle so loud and so long, he's singularly responsible for three generations of deaf dogs and the entire idea that somehow white people are a minority because a black person got a job one time. While Rush was objectively offensive, he remained relatively tame compared to some of the guys that came after him. G. Gordon Liddy, the convicted Watergate felon who even shithouse rats thought should seek mental help. I understand that they found out today that, uh, that uh, Ms. Sotomayor is a member of La Raza, which means in, in illegal alien, the race. And uh, that should not surprise anyone because uh, she's already on record with a number of racist uh, comments. Liddy was on WJFK, which is where he was home-based out of in D.C., right before the Don and Mike show, so I would often catch him... Uh, and his enlightening views before Don and Mike came on. He was entertainingly insane. Michael Savage's Savage Nation, which was the number two radio show behind Limbaugh for his entire run from the 1990s up through 2012, when they eventually put a soft coat around him and took him to a soft room. Uh, Michael Savage is, uh, well, you know, not well. Yesterday, I personally announced on the Savage Nation that it's time to bring, bring back UAC, which is the House of Un-American Activities Committee. Okay, first of all, Michael, it's the House Un-American Activities Committee. If you can't say it properly, don't even say it at all. And also, hello, McCarthyism. It, fine, never mind. You know, if, and also, if Limbaugh had a dog whistle, Michael Savage had a dog air horn, and he would just out and out say racist shit and then keep, you know, right on rolling. Liddy and Savage, of course, big at Alex Jones, Alex Jones is actually the bastard love child of Art Bell and Rush Limbaugh and has his very own episode of this show, episode 111, me and Mr. Jones. And of course, I would be remiss if I did not give you the Fox News crossover rogues gallery. Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity, Lori Ingram, and Bill O'Reilly, who, you know, started out in TV but definitely had his own radio show for years until he was ignominiously fired for being a piece of shit sex offender. You can honestly listen to these people from sunup to sundown and never have your empty conservative head violated by an original thought. These assholes go on the radio in the morning, Fox News at night, and fully of a third of America chugs down their fucking Republican Kool-Aid, now their Trumpian Kool-Aid, like a glass of ice cold water on a hot day working at the ovens that they're trying to slam Jews in. And people wonder what's wrong with America. Out of the top 25 radio show, rated 20 radio shows in the last quarter of 2017, eight of them were conservative talk. Although on the bright side, 
the two top shows were Morning Edition and All Things Considered by NPR. They beat Limbaugh, the number three, by almost a million listeners. But this is only because city people listen to NPR, NPR and a lot of people live in cities. But out in real America, radio is three things. Jesus, Rush, and sports. And the line between those three things is pretty fucking blurry. This is the state of radio in 2018. And geographically, 90% of the country. Gone are the local stations with the bright morning voices playing the music of the day and talking about what is going on in your town. Gone is caller 11 who wins tickets to see the band coming to the nearest mid-sized city or the free ham for Easter. Gone are the tradition of local voices and local content. Gone is an entire institution that brought people together in something simple, even pure pop songs, and used car dealership ads. Gone are the simple days when a local station could drop live turkeys from a helicopter so people could celebrate Thanksgiving. Oh, oh my God, they're turkeys! Oh, Johnny, can you get this? Oh, they're crashing to the earth right in front of my eyes! We just have angry white men yelling at other angry white men, telling them what they should be angry about today. Sure, there's a thriving community of podcasts that cater to the myriad interests that never for a second would make it onto terrestrial radio. I mean, what station is going to run a show of a drunk guy blathering on for 30 minutes in a pointless ramble about how much he wanted to be in radio and then go on a nostalgic rumination over how radio has fallen from grace? I mean... Hell no! You gotta have a podcast for that. Yeah, I kind of wish it wouldn't, though. We have every song ever recorded at the tips of our fingers on streaming apps, and it resides in our pockets. We even have radio stations that exist entirely within the cyber walls of the internet, but something about them just comes up short. It's, uh, it's too broad. We're starved by an abundance of choice. Because... There was something about the community of radio. People all listening at the same time, calling in to speak to the DJ on the air, requesting songs, and sharing the mutual experience brought to you by his or her, mostly his, melodious voice. Anyone who has ever stayed up nights with their headphone in the radio hiding under the covers listening to the DJ. The experience of calling your friends or significant other to listen together over the phone until your mom busts in and tells you to get off the damn phone she can call her Aunt Betty. Tuning into Dr. Domeno on a Sunday night where you're feverishly trying to finish your homework for Monday morning. The excitement of hearing a song you never heard before as it climbs the charts. Anyone who's been alive long enough to have experienced the pangs of dedicating a song to someone hoping they will hear you and forgive you for the dumb thing that you did. Or the endless wait for one specific song to come on the radio so you can tape it off the radio and you always cut off the first 10 seconds of the song because you were never fast enough to hit those damn record buttons. Who's not been driving along and had a kick-ass song come on the radio only to look down and find yourself doing 90 miles an hour to Kenny Loggins' Danger Zone? Radio was more than just a means of mass communication. It was a means of sharing a mutual culture, of finding our own identity, and establishing who you were based on the station and the DJ. All the streaming stations in the world can never fill the void left behind. You can find a podcast community out there that shares a little of that community radio once did. Hey, shout out to my tens out there. But in the end... We've lost more than just a radio station, a favorite DJ, or even the chance to be a DJ. 
We've lost the threads that made Americans not hate each other quite so much. I mean, how can you hate someone who's grooving to easy lover at the stoplight just like you are, even if they did cut you off like a minute ago? Radio did the thing that Facebook claims it wants to do, connect people, bring them together in mutual affections and affiliations all in a common interest, inform them, entertain them, and sell them things. But radio, unlike Facebook, didn't do it by allowing us to silo ourselves or every little things in our lives. We only silos ourselves by the music taste and the DJ preference. But no one wanted to kill anyone because they like Cousin Kenny and the Country Kids on 99.1 more than Busy Buzz and Bart and the Bounce Boys on 100.7. Things were better back then. And as Aaron Tippin said, there ain't nothing wrong with the radio. <laughs> that is it for our show this week. I have to apologize. The show's a little disjointed, a scattershot. You see, James Comey has been in the studio all day. He's been trying to give us an interview, and we kept telling him it wasn't on the schedule, but he said it was fine, and he stayed anyway. I, I, I get it, Jim. I get it. You're an honorable man. Please stop explaining why you did what you did. Please. Speaking of doing something awful with tragic consequences, and you could rate and review this show wherever you get your podcast to help other people find the show, your judgment in doing so will be just as bad as Comey's, but just on an infinitely smaller and less consequential scale. Speaking of inconsequential, you can follow all my musings on Twitter at the hell underscore podcast and the show name on Facebook. All of our shows may be found by the show name on SoundCloud at www.whatthehellpodcast.com. Be sure to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast, because we now have original and exclusive content for our donors. I mean, we will, starting this week. I mean, I've recorded everything, but you get the first one for free. We're like a drug dealer. You get that first little taste for free, and we'll hit you up on the comeback. For me, Diamond Dave, your radio slave, producer Wolfman Gavin, and all the other fictional jocks on the show, we want to say the world is collapsing all around us. And you could hear it all, not on the radio, but on this dumb podcast. We'll see you all next week.
Kings. Podcasts.